Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and I'm happy to have you with us. So today we're going to be featuring one of our special guests, who is none other than Dr. Denise Wonder. For those of you who aren't familiar with that name, Dr. Denise has a very unique background and an extremely impactful story that she'll be sharing with us today. Please allow me to give you a quick bio before we dive into today's discussion. So Dr. Denise Wondor is a sports medicine physician. She graduated from the Kansas City University of Medicine and Biosciences and then completed her family medicine residency and sports medicine fellowship within the renowned Cleveland Clinic. Prior to her medical training, she graduated from Muhlenberg College in Pennsylvania, where she played collegiate basketball for four years and served as the team captain. She then worked as a research scientist for Merck in New Jersey for about six years before going to medical school in Kansas City. Since then, Dr. Denise has been the team physician for the USA Volleyball team and the FIVB for the past 11 years. She's a proud mother of three, including her youngest daughter, Vienna, who sadly passed away at just two years old without explanation. Since then, she's become the founder and president of her family's 501c3 nonprofit, Team Vienna for SUDC Awareness. If you're not familiar with SUDC, that stands for Sudden Unexplained Death in Childhood. She's also the co-founder of the SUDC Coalition. Because of her family's tragedy, Dr. Denise works tirelessly educating the medical community and the general public worldwide about Vienna's story and SUDC. She's extremely passionate about finding some of the root causes for sudden unexplained death in childhood, which the medical school curriculum does not touch on. So as you can tell, you know, this becomes a very emotional conversation that we have, but it's an important message that I think everybody needs to hear. And there's also some really interesting uh, things that we're going to learn about from her diverse background. So without further ado, please help me welcome Dr. Denise Wonderland. Dr. Denise, thanks for joining the show. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, definitely. We're always happy to get a new voice and uh, you have quite a background there. So it sounds like you keep awfully busy. Yes, very busy. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh, what's the latest been? I know right before we hopped on air, we were talking about this summer and this whole year with COVID. It's just been wild. Yes, it has been, I know. And, um, you know, with, with the homeschooling with the kids, that's been interesting. And then I know we did talk about um, my husband who uh, contracted COVID. Uh, he's an ER physician and he contracted COVID in the early days uh, when things were really heating up here in Jersey. So that was uh, in March. And then um, we tried to take care of him the best we could for about 12 days until he just couldn't breathe anymore. And um, symptoms just became worse no matter what we did. So he was in the hospital for a week and then, um, uh, hung out at home for about eight days. And then that warrior that he is went back to work to see patients. Wow. So he, he's pretty incredible. Yeah, but it's crazy. Even four and a half months out now, he still has some breathing issues. And that's obviously what we're seeing with COVID now, this, um, you know, late, uh, these late symptoms that just continue on. It's pretty scary stuff. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's, it seems like so much of it is just a big unknown. So it's, um, it's, it's frightening to say the least. And so did he get any treatment for that? Like, did he go through the, uh, 
you know, any of the plasma treatments or any of that new stuff that's kind of out there right now? So, um, well, he, he offered to donate his plasma, although he did not get called. Um, but, but sure, during the, um, the treatment period, he had all the, the typical medications that were being given at the time, which at this point, you know, they've changed a little bit since then because, you know, there's no true treatment for COVID yet. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's kind of a, a recycling and repurposing other medications for other diseases. Yeah, it seems kind of like a trial by fire. Which, uh, it, it is, it is. And you have people from, you know, all over the world who really helped us. I mean, during the time that he was in the hospital, I was, uh, thanks to Facebook and social media, I was in contact with doctors across the country, as well as others across the world, asking them what's, what's working for them, what's not working, because um, anything else that I would get from any other type of news source really, um, you know, it was hard to know what was true, what wasn't true, and misinformation was out there. So I kind of wanted to go to the source, which are the treating physicians. And, you know, so many people in the world really helped us out, you know, not just um, with medical advice, but also with support prayers, just knowing that they're cheering for him. And, and, um, you know, he also did uh, uh, some funny Facebook posts, actually. So even though it was serious because Mm -hmm. it's COVID, yet he put a really uh, interesting comedic spin on it, which really grasped a a ton of fans really from around the globe. It was pretty amazing, actually. And, uh, so that it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. that, that definitely I, helped yeah. him out too. I think if you can keep that sense of humor in some of the toughest of times, you know, that's invaluable. That's, that's a great trait to have. Absolutely. Yeah. So he really turned a very, very serious, very scary situation into um, kind of a, you know, a funny situation. And people would say, oh my gosh, you know, I, I'd be crying and sad in one moment and then laughing the next moment because he would say <laughs> or do something. So, you know, which of course helped everybody, you know, um, yep. especially our family during a, you know, just a, a really tough time. And, um, you know, cause, and, and I know we'll talk about my daughter who died almost three years ago and then my Vienna and then my sister died in, uh, November, 2019. And so then, you know, and she was 54 cancer diagnosis at stage four. And, um, so now we're in, uh, early April and I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, please let's not have another death in oh. our family within the last, you know, two and a half years. So it was, it was, um, it was a tough time, but you know, we're, I think we're a resilient family and we're, we're, um, you know, I'm trying to teach the kids. We are trying to teach the kids that we can survive anything that life has to throw at us and that we have to continue to do our best no matter yeah. what gets thrown in our path. And that's the thing I honestly, I find so impressive and admirable is that you, you, you've gone through a lot, but you always just keep this positive attitude. And at least it appears that way in everyday life where you're always, you know, happy, trying to do something new, trying to do something, you know, productive, as obviously your husband is as well, going right back to work. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah, we're, we're trying cool. to be a, a, a good example. Thank you. And we're trying to be a good example for our kids, for our, especially our surviving kids, you know, because they, they, they're going through a lot as well. And uh, we're trying to give them a, a stable household as best we can. But it's tough when, you know, the little sister dies, of no explanation, and we don't have a reason yet. So, you know, we're, we're doing yeah. our best. And how old are your your kids now? So my surviving kids, they're 10 and 8. And okay. the time that Vienna died, they were 5 and 7. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And how are you feeling now with the, I assume that they've been home like everybody else since March. And are they going back to school? Or are they doing the hybrid? Or what's the story for your guys? Yeah, you know, great question. Honestly, it seems to keep changing. I thought it was a hybrid situation. And then a parent told me something different. So I honestly, personally, I would love for them to be in school again. And I think the hybrid 
um, model would um, work the best, you know, for our home situation. Um, yeah. So hopefully that, that happens. But honestly, I don't get too crazy about that because with, with times changing so, so much, it seems almost every day. So, you know, it's kind of, people say, hey, Denise, how are you doing this? I'm like, you know, I just kind of fight the fire of the day. And so whatever happens when school starts, it'll probably change maybe even the day before school starts. <laughs> yeah, probably. Who knows? But, you know, I'm just going to take the waves as they come, figure it out and go from there because, you know, our world has been so turned upside down after Vienna died. So it's almost like, I feel like we can handle anything. We will figure it out. <laughs> yep. We'll figure it yep. out. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely some crazy times. Yes, so, it is. So what have you been up to, I guess, most recently? I know you've done so much with the, the nonprofit that your family set up and uh, have, have you had anything big this summer? Cause I know being involved in a lot of different boards myself, it's like we had to cancel everything and um, it's just been such a weird time, save for maybe a golf outing here or there, but uh, right. how are you guys doing with the nonprofit and everything? Yeah, well, you know, st still great because, you know, it's all about awareness, education. Um, so, you know, we did have a, um, of course, Vienna's Day of International SUDC Awareness in May, and that's essentially, it's, it's local, but it's also, it's around the world. So it's kind of already virtual. So that really didn't change too much, except we were going to join um, a race uh, with Mary's Place by the Sea in Ocean Grove um, that particular day. But of course, you know, everything got canceled and postponed because of COVID, but we still continued on with, um, you know, a very small walk with some close friends in our local neighborhood. And then people from all over the world would, you know, walk, run, hike, bike, climax, challenge, whatever, do different things on that one particular day. And then wearing a Team Vienna shirt or holding a sign and then taking a picture and posting on social media. So it's, it's always cool. This is now the second year in a row where we had all seven continents represented, which is really wow. amazing. Yeah, and including Antarctica. And now I've You're got kidding. some friends of friends down there who are kind of passing the torch every year. So I hope that continues for next year. Because, huh. uh, yeah, so, and it's really because of, of people who I know. You know, I, um, it's really been, been a re real big blessing for that particular event so um so we've done that now three years in a row and uh, so that continued to carry on and it seems you know even though I, I i'm not really great with asking for donations but people seem to still donate which i love obviously because you still you need money for nonprofits, and i know you're a financial guy and like dr denise why are you saying that but <laughs> but um but it's the truth you know i really want people to know about sudc and um and i think you know things will kind of progress as they're supposed to so that was yeah. one big thing in May that we and did. Just, and actually, I just, if, if I could interrupt oh, yeah. you there, because I know we're talking quite a bit about SEDC and that's something you're passionate about. Can you just kind of define what exactly that is for our listeners? Yeah. So uh, SUDC is Sudden Unexplained Death in Childhood. And so this is a category of death in kids one to 18 years old. So it does include the teenagers, where after a thorough investigation, um, autopsy medical record review, there's still no explanation for the deaths of these kids. And that's where my daughter Vienna, you know, fell um, almost three years ago now here in, in Homedale, where she was watching TV with her brother and sister and her babysitter. And it had appeared to fallen asleep while watching TV, you know, a little, uh, almost 7, 7 p.m. or so. And then um, she stopped breathing. And um, so that, that was the most horrible phone call, obviously, when my husband and I were driving home from wedding at 702 get the, the the phone call from our babysitter um with with this news and um 
So wow. yeah, and imagine. actually, we, we with the, both of us being physicians, you know, we never heard of SUDC before, which is really surprising and shocking because everyone's heard of SIDS, you know, but SIDS are the babies less than one year old who die with no explanation after a thorough investigation, autopsy, medical record review. You know, so this is essentially SIDS because it's all unexplained but thoroughly investigated, but just in the older kids. So that's um, you know, that, that that's really tough. I mean, you know. You know, we 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 cry, we shared shed tears every day, all all different amounts, you know, because um she's not here and and the you know this void that we fill in our family and the fact that we don't have an explanation, you know, we have yeah, no wow. idea why this happened. So that that all those reasons and knowing that there's there's gonna be other families, unfortunately, um you know, sadly, um in the future this is gonna happen too, and so. You know, if we can do something to to try to prevent this, find causes, prevent this from happening to other families, because it's at least one one kid, you know, one 18 years old a day. So it's about we think around four four hundred kids in the U.S. a day, and it's like I I flip the calendar and I think to myself, well, okay, there's 30 days this month, um, 30 families are going to be devastated this month. Like that's how I think. I mean, it's horrible. Uh-huh. So that's so I have all these inspirations really to to really make a difference and really propel this cause forward in the biggest way I know how with the help of other people. And I would imagine, like you said, everyone seems to be familiar with SIDS and, you know, obviously infants, but the range between a one-year-old and an 18-year-old, their body is so vastly different, you know, that, I mean, there's, there's literally no explanation or is it similar things whether it's cardiovascular or breathing or is there any kind of like uh i guess being a total novice here like kind of like a a category or window that that usually falls in for that broad age group well see yeah that's the thing you know the the most um common age group for sudc are the toddlers right one to four and that's where vienna you know lies and then you have the second highest are the teenagers 15 to 18 years old but 60 percent of them or so that we that we think um, are in the toddler age. And so you think, well, SIDS supposedly, you know, goes up to one, but here's the thing. It's not, oh, your child is one year old. And this is what everybody thinks, Brian, you know, you think, well, we need kids, you know, you have to be super cautious in the first three months of life, because if they have a fever, it's this whole huge workup. So like for three months, I would always keep the kids at home. Then after that, you, I feel a little bit more comfortable. And then as the child approaches one year old, you think, okay, cool. You know, we don't have to use the monitor anymore if you don't want to. Um, things appear to be safe. We're not in any kind of danger of any crazy, you know, thing happen. But really, I think it's a continuum. I mean, because really, how how can it just stop at age one? It can't. Yeah. You know, and, and I think this is partly what what this is showing us that you know it goes up to age one for SIDS, but then you have this continuum up to age four of the highest you know numbers for SUDC kids, and then but then why does it jump up to teenagers? you know, 15, yeah. 18 years old. And then, you know, that's about 20% of the of the kids. And then between five and 14 are, you know, the, the other kids that are the, um, you know, the, uh, the other 20%, you know, so it, it's, um, you know, there, there are some theories when it comes to, to research. Um, you know, there's not a lot of research on this. There's a, a no targeted uh, SUDC um, funding from, from, um, from government agencies. Uh, but, um, but, you know, there are some studies going on, but what they're finding is that um, febrile seizures, which in medicine were taught to be benign, and in medical school, it's how we're taught, 
but we're seeing that of these SUDC kids that there is a higher incidence, a higher family history, higher um, child history of having these febrile seizures with sudden unexplained death in childhood. So this is kind of a, a huge advance really, you know, where it could potentially be up to 60%. There was one study, it was only 20 kids. Um, it was uh, um, 20 um, brains that were donated and um, Vienna's was one of them. And, um, and, and of, of those 20 kids, uh, 12 of those 20 had a history of febrile seizures and Vienna had a history of, of these supposed to be benign seizures. So that was one big thing in the research as well as um, in the brain. And this is for the people who are scientifically driven um, in the hippocampus, which um, has a, a part amongst its various functions, has a plays a part in the um, uh, breathing mechanisms. So could it be okay. that with some abnormalities of this very small area of the brain, could that then, you know, then in the end have some type of uh, electrical stimulation that would then cause um, sudden death? And, and the thing with, so those are the main two things in terms of research that ha has been found. Um, but on autopsy, the problem is, is that you cannot tell, I mean, you can have clues, but it, it can't really be confirmed whether the person had a seizure when they died, and then also an arrhythmia, so a, um, an abnormal heart rhythm. So that's where genetic studies are so important. And and really looking at everything, whether it's, you know, is it a cardiac problem? Is it neurological, dealing with seizures or some other, some other mechanism? Um, infectious, you know, genetic, is it acquired environmental? Could it be maybe a mix of one or more of these things, you know, together where, you know, in some kids, this happens and we don't know why, but 99.9% .9 of the kids would probably be fine with various insults or various, you know, environmental factors, but maybe with some, you know, a small part of the population of, of the kids, you know, for whatever reason, they, they can't handle whatever insult that was. And then they just suddenly yeah. die and there's no in between ground. It's, it's, um, so is there, is there some sort of, um, I guess, treatment or solution now knowing that there's at least a correlation there between those seizures and SCDC, or is that pretty much just a finding that now we know it's there, but we don't really know yet how to prevent that from progressing to a uh, sudden death? Right. And, and that's the thing, right? So we, we know that there's no causes, no preventive strategies yet. Um, but we just, we're just seeing these correlations and, uh, you know, honestly, on a, from a personal standpoint, so you have, um, you know, something called sudden unexpected death and epilepsy, SUDEP, okay, S-U-D-E-P. And this has been in the news more recently in the last year or so with a couple of um, actors who have died, who have had a history of epilepsy, a seizure, a known seizure disorder. And then when they die unexpectedly, it's, it's notified, it, it's called SUDEP sudden unexpected death and epilepsy. So some of the, the similar findings in, in those patients they're seeing in, um, in uh, sudden in SUDC kids and, and, you know, and also SIDS actually. And, you know, what's making me think, um, you know, could it be that these febrile seizures that were taught about in medical school as benign entities, kids six months to six years old have these when there's a rapid rise of the fever and then they could potentially have a seizure um, you know, could these benign uh, seizures be actually a, a, a subset of epilepsy? And, and so are all these kids really SUDEP, where it's really, you know, a true seizure disorder? I don't know, you know, that hasn't been proven. But this is just me thinking, you know, could that be the answer? We don't know. Or a, another one would be, of course, um, you know, uh, a, a dysrhythmia that would lead into an arrhythmia of the heart. 
Um, so honestly, when, when, when I tell people that Vienna died, of course, everybody, you know, a lot of people start to ponder the questions, which I appreciate because, you know, um, everybody's thought is, is valid because since we don't have any true answers, um, and always the first question is cardiac, it's gotta be cardiac. Um, but not necessarily, you know, there, there's a lot of different factors that are involved. So there's a lot that needs to be done, but, but wow. we are in three different studies actually. Um, in, one, that's what I wanted to ask in, in regards yeah. to those studies, even before we get into them. So yeah. it, if you can maybe kind of pull back the curtain and what people know, like how do these studies, how do these uh, examinations transpire? Because what I would imagine is something horrific like that happens, that there's an extremely thorough autopsy examination and then record keeping of every piece of data or metric that they can track. And then I assume that they pool those with everybody else that had, you know, that, that felt SEDC. Um, is that kind of how it works? Like where, where is the hub of all that information? And then who kind of leads the charge on trying to figure out what to do next? Right. And, and that, that's, those are all great questions. So now as far as um, thorough, so thorough is a very relative word, especially when it comes to deciding investigations of kids. So you can have, so there, there's no protocol. Which is, which is really unfortunate. And uh, people are working on that, which is wonderful because that really needs to be done. So you can have one county versus another county, state to state, and they can have different uh, protocols for the medical examiner dealing with a child. So that by itself gives a lot of variability. And what they run in the death certificate, you know, is a huge issue as well. So you have to have a pathologist or medical examiner uh, be okay with saying, I don't know why this child died, why this, why this teenager died and truly put undetermined, um, and ask colleagues, say, Hey, look, I found nothing. Like in Vienna's autopsy it was completely, you know, she found nothing. And, you know, that's when the medical examiner has to say, you know, wow, I found nothing. Let me consult, you know, a couple other of my colleagues and, you know, show the slides. Do you see anything? If the answer is no to say, wow, I don't see anything. This is truly undetermined. Versus what sometimes happens, Brian, is that they'll put some other um, minor uh, ailment, whether it's um, maybe there's some um, mild pneumonia in the child or, or something else, and then they'll list that on the death certificate, and then automatically that becomes the cause of death. And then that particular child's um, records and everything doesn't ever get um, labeled as unexplained. It actually gets labeled as explained. So, so judging from that, now you have numbers that are not correct. And there's no code to code a fully investigated death of a child one to 18 years old. There's a code for SIDS, which is helpful, but there's still problems with, with, with that as well. And, and truly knowing the incidents. And if you don't know the true incidents in terms of if it doesn't appear like enough kids are affected, then people don't really view it as a problem. And then not a lot happens. So there's a lot of, a lot of issues with this whole situation and, you know, wondering you know who's leading the charge that's the thing there is no one particular department where we're saying okay this is caused by blank so there's no one department leading the charge that's why you know you have these different groups different places okay well you know you need to have a pathologist in case there's some neurologic issue you need to have a cardiologist you need to have the different sub you know infectious disease doctors also involved um you know, to try to put this together because it's really multifactorial. I believe it's going to be. You know, it, yep. this is this is a very complex situation. So, and I feel like um, you're almost not to switch gears too much, but I feel like you're almost seeing that play out right now on the national stage with COVID, 
that you're yeah. seeing these these numbers every <laughs> right. single day of positives and deaths and then you're hearing oh he died of covid but oh he was 95 and was fighting heart failure for the right. past six months and it, it's so hard to see well there's 150,000 deaths there but what is each one of those statistics and i guess that's that's always the the issue with medicine and, and tracking any data for that matter um, right exactly and it's you're a complex exa- issue <laughs> it's totally complex and yeah and i definitely agree with you with the whole covid thing and and you know i don't really watch the news but um my, my patients actually in my clinic they're they're awesome they uh they um, educate me on some of the things that they learn <laughs> and one of them has to do with uh you know whether uh, to put covid on the death certificate or not and so there's a lot of apparently uh, some debate about that because there's money involved and so i don't yep, know the details yep. about that to talk about it but uh, but it's just a, an interesting time, and who knows what the true numbers really are going to be? We don't know. Yeah, yeah, and unfortunately, I think the whole thing with COVID, like you said, one, there's money involved, which will always change, you know, some mm-hmm. thought processes, and two, so much of it is becoming politicized right now. So right. hopefully, I don't think SUDC is anywhere in that platform. So hopefully, it can be more of a true science and study, and not be uh, manipulated. But what um ultimately what inspired you to start your family's 501c3 i know you went through something so traumatic that that you hope never ever happens to anyone and what's i guess we know what the impetus was but what's maybe the goal there what are you hoping to do for your family with your uh team vienna for sedc awareness well you know the fact that no one heard of this when vienna died not even my husband and i who are both physicians and you know, we're, we're not out from medicine, out from medical school 50 years, right? So, you know, we graduated, um, what, 15, 15, 16 years ago, right? So we're pretty recent, but not so much, you know? And so mm-hmm. the fact that we never even heard of this, um, it was shocking to me, so shocking to both of us. So that's why we really want to change that. And, you know, we, uh, we kind of started with Team Vienna even before it became a 501c3 when we um, entered an initial race back in 2018, actually, and then it was a year later, turning into an actual nonprofit. And, um, you know, to really increase the awareness and really a lot of the projects that we were already doing right after Vienna died. So we kind of wanted to raise everything, raise the bar and get the word out in, in a much bigger way and be able to um, hopefully you know, fund research because when you have a 501c3, then people are more apt to support that part of your of your uh, mission, which is a huge part of our mission, uh, as well as the educational factor. So, you know, and, and also SUDC is not any uh, that we know about officially in any medical school or residency curriculum for that matter. And so I'm doing grand rounds lectures at hospitals and medical schools, you know, intermittently. And um, now it's a little more challenging with COVID, but, you know, we're, we're, I'm still able to do some and uh, at least educate those physicians and hopefully then they will tell other physicians and other students and and then hopefully this will um you know allow them to be able to have um, a more wise thought in their mind when this does happen to one of their patients they can say oh i've heard of this and this is how you know this is how i can support you and then also maybe this will um incite uh, inspiration in others to do research so it's kind of multi-level and obviously, of course, remembering Vienna, because that, that's one thing where, you know, she's so so little. And, and with, with any of these kids, you know, we want people to talk about her still, even though she's deceased. And, you know, death is tough to talk about, right? I mean, who really wants to talk about it? <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, I give you all the credit in the world for even bringing it up. 
And I mean, so but, the, the awareness that you're trying to drive, it's more in the medical community? So, you know, that, that's a lot of it, but it's also in the general public as well, which is where, you know, Vienna's Day of International SUDC Awareness every May, where that lies, where this is people from all over the world who, you know, a lot of them are not medical. They're not science. They're not scientists. You know, it, it's the general public who also needs to know about that. Everyone needs to know. So that when it does happen, that people are aware, oh, SUDC does happen. And, you know, there, there are... Uh, groups, nonprofits who can help. And one of them is, you know, obviously my nonprofit team, Vienna, but then the SUDC coalition. So if I talk to a new parent, because people are always sending um, parents to me and saying, oh my gosh, they don't even know what to do. And I try to help and, and guide them the best I can, you know, to various research studies and, and even just getting support because, you know, when no one's heard of this, people want to put you in, in a SIDS category. And, but, but you can say, well, you know, my, my child was 18 years old or 11 years old. And, you know, you know, it's kind of hard to be in a SIDS group when your child is much older. So, um, sure. so yeah, there, there's, there's a lot that we want, would like to do. So when, when you go out and raise awareness, which I'm all for, and I get that, but I think the thing that um, I would, I guess I would say I would kind of struggle with and trying to find a way to help is with, let's take breast cancer, for instance, and you say, we want to get awareness out there. We understand this can happen to so many women out there and we need to find a cure, or raise funds for research and so forth. Right. With something that you're already identifying as unknown, it, it's, I would struggle or, or I imagine other people would with like, well, if we raise funds, what, are, what do you research or how do you find a cure for something when you don't even know really what the problem is, if that makes sense? Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why I look to the expertise of the researcher. So um, we are involved with three different research studies. And one of them is up in Boston, um, Boston Children's at, at Harvard. And uh, so, you know, they, they kind of take a, a multi specialty approach where, you know, they're looking at the medical records, they're, they're looking at the, um, you know, all the, uh, the, the, the tissue um, results from the medical examiner and genetics and you know, kind of putting it all together, looking at the, what's called the family pedigree, where you're looking at, um, you know, various medical problems of all different, um, you know, everybody in the family and the extended family to see, you know, uh, is there a genetic link with diseases? And, did, you know, is there higher, like say febrile seizures is a perfect example, where if there's a higher instance of febrile seizures in a family, you know, there's a greater chance of a child or a, a person one to 18 years old dying of sudden unexplained death in childhood, even if it's in the family. So, um, but yeah, but that, that's the problem is that there is not one, one that's uh, leading the charge, but, um, but, but luckily we're at the point where there are, you know, a couple of those findings with the hippocampus, like I mentioned, febrile seizures, even with viruses. So we're looking, we're, we're finding that, you know, of these SUDC kids, at least half of them have some type of a virus found on autopsy, okay? And, and it's at least 50%. I'm sure it's going to be much higher than that. So there is a, um, you know, a, a potential study that's going to be started, you know, revolving around that. And, uh, you know, like, like, why is it that some kids, you know, um, you know, maybe some kids will die of, you know, a viral induced immune response, whereas in most kids, they would be fine. But why in some kids would that happen? And then the end result is death, you know? So, um, so there, there is definitely you know, a, um, a smattering of, of, uh, that's the right word to use, you know, of different types of research going on. Um, mm -hmm. but it's multifaceted. So it is, it is quite a challenge, but there, there are some great studies, you know, uh, that, that are happening and, and even a, um, more of a cardiac focused 
um, study that's going around uh, nationwide, and that's the um, Sudden Death in the Young Registry. So we're, we're enrolled through um, Vanderbilt. And then the, um, there's another study at uh, NYU as well. So they're kind of all looking at um, you know, various aspects. Some of them overlap, but then they all also have their own individual um, expertise that they can really hopefully drive this forward and, and find some more answers. Yeah, it's the the more we talk here, I'm like, man, the the field of medicine is just incredible because it's it could go in a million different directions and permutations, and it just kind of never end, I guess. And as far as research and finding something new, absolutely, and and that's what's been interesting to me too. Where you know I I've learned so much. You know, I'm a sports medicine physician, so that's always been. I mean, that that kind of medicine is unbelievably fun. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I mean, sports, who doesn't love sports? You know, I mean, I was an athlete yeah. all my life and, you know, it's a, it's a fun thing to do. And then when you, and, you know, add that to medicine, oh my gosh, it's, it's my dream job, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but obviously now, you know, taking a different, a different turn a little bit, still doing my sports medicine roots because I still love that so much. But obviously now there's something incredibly personal that, um, that I really need to, to focus on as well. So I kind of do a couple different things at once and, yeah. um, yeah. So, but, but th this has been a, a huge learning curve for me too, because, you know, like, like I said, you know, um, who, who really loves to learn about death? I don't think many people even love to talk about it. Right. So, um, so, you know, that's one thing that um, I think is interesting also with just with lectures and, and um, there's a lecture that I gave last fall, actually it was a Ted style talk actually in Baltimore uh, it's called OMED. It's a national physicians conference. And so I did, it was about maybe 23 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. And I did five slides to kind of cue me um, because honestly, you know, if I'm just talking without a bunch of slides, I, I, because I get upset sometimes during my lectures and I'm afraid I'm going to forget what I'm going to say <laughs> because, because it's just such a personal and emotional topic. So, but what I did before this particular talk, um, you know, about a 20 minute talk is, um, I actually played guitar and I sang, which is huh. not what doctors do at conferences, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know, so that was your warm up to your Ted talk. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. Talk about my heart beating out of my chest warm up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, because you know, I wrote this message to my daughter and then her favorite musician within a couple of days, um, after I sent it to him and I didn't ask him to do anything, he created an amazing song. So this is like two months after she died. I, I, I wrote all these words down and then the song was created. And then that inspired me to take guitar and also help with, with grief. And so then when it came time for my talk, you know, I, I'm trying to think of what would draw more attention because I can honestly say, Brian, before my daughter died, do I, do you think I would really gravitate towards a talk about death and someone's child dying? I wouldn't, unless I, unless I knew the pe the person personally, I'll, I'll just be honest, I wouldn't because heck, I'm going to go to an ACL, uh, you know, knee, knee surgery type of uh, lecture or rotator cuff or concussion, something that that's, that's to me a lot more interesting. But yeah. then obviously when it happens to you, then you have a very different view about it. And um, sure. so I'm, I'm trying to get more people to care about the cause. And so, and to care about my daughter and to care about all these kids who have died and, and, and kids in the future who unfortunately and very tragically will die. So yeah. that's why I said, you know what, I, I need to step outside my comfort zone in a major way and step on this stage with my guitar. My guitar instructor helped me, thank goodness, and sang the first and played the first verse of this song. And, you know, maybe about a minute and a half. And then after that was done, then I carried on with my lecture. So 
I, I am, I was hoping, and I think it worked. I hope that, I, I think that kind of grasped more people's attention and that was the whole purpose for it. Yeah. I imagine at a medical conference, that would be <laughs> awfully memorable. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely different, but I think people appreciated yep. it, you know, and, and yeah, again, definitely. It's, I'm sure it's, it's stuck. A tough topic. Yeah. It's such a tough yeah. topic. And so what is, um, I know we're talking a lot about SUDC here because you have such personal experience with it, but what is, uh, the coalition for those of us that aren't aware, what is the SUDC coalition? Yeah, so th this is a, a pending 501c3 nonprofit, and this was started by another amazing, passionate mom, SUD, sadly, SUDC mom, who lost her little girl, Vail, um, back in um, September of last year. And so she's in Colorado. And so she and I got together and said, you know what, we really want to push this cause forward in a major way. We feel that we really need to push forward the awareness, education, and, and um, find more research, maybe start some research projects, you know, to really get, get, get this rolling. And because some has been done in the past, but gosh, we need so, so, so much more. And so this is a collective of nonprofits, parents, doctors, researchers, individuals, pretty much anybody who wants to support this cause and, and you know, help in any way that they feel comfortable, you know, pooling resources, working together you know, as a team to, to accelerate these things. So this is something that we just founded in March, and and uh, you know we have a um, a, ni a nice group uh, of passionate people. So you know eventually we're learning, to, we're, we're looking to to grow that, and and do more. So together working, you know, with, with other nonprofits. So it's, it's a very okay. exciting time. Got it. Yeah, it definitely sounds that way. And so do you guys have some some goals, like some actual concrete goals or marks that you're hoping to hit, whether it be fundraising certain papers published any particular goals that we could point out here so well i think well number one you know we we um, are starting to already attain one of the goals actually which is getting sudc into the medical school curriculum and actually that that is just um actually an article just came out within the last couple of weeks where uh, the arkansas college of osteopathic medicine um confirmed commitment uh, actually earlier in the year that they would definitely incorporate into the curriculum so i'm working with the dean there to you know, create a um, uh, uh, some modules and uh, essentially, like I should say, that during the first second year of med school, it would be some information about SUDC in conjunction with SIDS. Definitely, I think should be taught together, and then uh, reinforce information with a a, a clinical um, vignette or a clinical case based on Vienna's story, actually, um, and uh, uh, for the third year students. And actually, that was his idea. I was very touched and honored that he even said that based on Vienna's story. And so that that's definitely one thing that's already happening. So really incorporating more medical schools because it seems like each medical school has their own curriculum. So you know, I've I have a, a couple of calls this week, the school in California, school in New York, and, and others that are, are are following to talk about this to see specifically how we can incorporate it into their curriculum. So it's a yearly, you know, um, actually in the curriculum, which means it's in it for good. So that's definitely one big goal. Um, also uh, incre increasing research. And one thing that we're looking at is um, fundraising specifically to do whole genome sequencing uh, for, for kids um, and uh, you know, to, as, as part of a research study. So, because right now uh, what's, what's being done is with the various research studies, the whole exome sequencing, and that is um, about probably less than 2% of the whole genome. So it gets a lot of the genes, but doesn't get all of them. You know, and because the whole genome, when you sequence the entire genome, it's a lot more money. So that that's where you know we that that's really going to be one of our biggest um, goals 
here in the near future is uh, fundraising for that. And uh, okay. And what exactly is that? That that's something that would be done on people while they're living, like looking at their their gene their genetics or. So. Yep. Yes. So, so to answer, yes. So to answer your question, so we would do it on what's called the trio. So the trio is the mom, biological mom, biological dad, and the child who died. Okay. So in, in research, we call that the, you know, the, the trio. So they're doing trios. So that's kind of like the, 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 the golden grail of, of this type of thing. So then you can do the, the sequencing of the mom, the dad, the child, and see, you know, are there any type of genes that were passed down? Or is, was there a gene that was um, that, that's de novo or just a, a mutation, spontaneous mutation that occurred in the child who died? And we don't know why, you know, and that's another thing we'd have to figure out, you know, but at least then it would give us a, a starting point of, okay, you know, wh which genes are we talking about? Do we see, you know, this in one family, but do we see it also in hundred other families? You know, because it's interesting because, you know, something that, that um, I was talking to a researcher recently is that, you know, um, we can have, genes that um you know that that essentially could could yield a, a bad outcome like death and someone else can have that same exact gene and they're walking around just fine hmm. so why is that in some people that particular gene yields death and other people it yields nothing so yeah. genetics it, there's so much that we need to learn in genetics it's su such an amazing field i, I remember always enjoying it in, in college but yep. there's a lot that needs to be done. So, and that's one thing where, you know, that, um, you know, that, that in, in our view with the coalition, that's going to be one of our goals is to um, fundraise like crazy and to see how many families, you know, would like to get involved, which, you know, I, I know, yep. I know, uh, I think there'll, there'll be a fair amount who would like to, to get involved with that. You know, as yep. long as they have DNA banked of their child, that's another thing too. You know, once your child is gone, they're gone. So unless, tissues, DNA was whole blood banked early on, they may not be able to get involved because of that, sadly. You know? yeah. yeah, you're seeing so much in that now. And I know it's probably a very like uh, elementary version of it. But even with these websites that you can go to like the 23andMe and the other mm -hmm. find out your heritage, your ancestors and your genealogy. And then there's some at least that I've heard of where you can actually send that to a nutritionist and actually have like a, a nutrition plan mapped out based on your genetic makeup. And so I feel like there's so many different ways to look at that. It really is a fascinating science. Yes, it is. And I think, honestly, I think a, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of SUDC, I, I think the bare bones is going to come from, uh, from the genes. I think that, you know, uh, we just have to look, look more and also, um, you know, not, um, not every single gene has been identified, you know? So there's still more work that needs to be done on that whole genome project too, actually. They're about 99% finished, but um, even still have a, a little more to go on that. Yeah, it really mm -hmm. is. Yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, well, I appreciate you, you know, sharing so much of this with us because in my day-to-day -day life, you know, obviously I work with a ton of physicians as a financial advisor. Right. And the conversations are around, you know, how are we going to get past these student loans? And right. how do we build our practice? <laughs> how do we start investing? Right. Uh, but then, you know, as we talk, you start to really see, you know, physicians just living life with, with normal ups and downs. And unfortunately, some tragedies like this that yeah. take you in a whole nother realm than you ever even thought possible. So I appreciate you uh, opening up and, and sharing your whole experience with everybody.
Yeah, no, you're welcome. And, and I think, uh, honestly, you know, with, with, um, with, the, with Vienna's tragedy, it really has taught my husband and I especially a lot of different things. And um, one, I, I think we are actually better physicians because of what happened to our daughter. And it's sad that that had to happen. Um, but, you know, we're, we're trying to do our best to, um, you know, to make, you know, to make everything, uh, um, you know, to, to learn from our tragedy and, and help yeah. other people. Had, and if you don't mind, had you or, or your husband ever seen anything like this before uh, while practicing as physicians or was the first exposure your own exposure? First exposure was our own, was our own tragedy. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and not, for lack of a better segue, I know you're doing a lot still in sports medicine, which, which is certainly very popular. Like you said, everybody loves sports, uh, yeah. which unfortunately seem to be kind of on hold or in limbo everywhere right now. Right. Um, but you, you are still active in the, uh, the sporting community? Yeah. So I'm actually, um, I'm one of the team physicians for USA Volleyball. And so okay. that, that, that's been really fun. And, and whenever I travel with, with a team, it's always the highlight of, of my sports medicine, you know, career or my, my sports medicine year. Um, and actually I was supposed to go to Honduras back in June, but of course, you know, all the, all the Olympics, everything was, was, um, you know, postponed. So that trip was canceled. But, um, but what was really cool, so I went to, to Cuba two years ago. It was the, uh, the men's junior national um, um, volleyball team. And uh, they all heard about Vienna and um, I brought some Team Vienna shirts and they were so excited to support Team Vienna, support SUDC. So they all um, uh, got a t-shirt and then we took this beautiful picture and they were wearing the t-shirts all over Havana and you know, the competition wow. gym and everywhere. Yeah. And, cool. and it was interesting because of course, um, you know, when you wear a t-shirt, you know, especially if you're USA, cause I mean, it's just, you know, you go to these different um, uh, tournaments and uh, everybody's looking at what USA is doing, you know, it's just how, how it goes. And so everybody, the referees, the coaches, the athletes, you know, the players asking, well, what is this team Vienna? So that was just an amazing opportunity to, you know, speak, even, even the athletes were, were such great, you know, little advocates, you know, for little Vienna and all the other SUDC kids. And just the fact that, you know, um, having a USA team, uh, you know, wear these shirts and really acknowledging that SUDC even exists was such a huge boost for, for so many families, SUDC families, where, you know, we know most people haven't even heard of this. So to have a team USA, and this is a junior national team, you know, acknowledges what was so, so huge. And, and, you know, I remember seeing comments on Facebook and social media when I posted it and just people just telling me, oh my gosh, you know, this tears welling up in their eyes just seeing this picture so it was really super special you know yeah, so yeah sure. so USA Volleyball that that I've been involved with them for 11 years and it's such a great organization I'm really proud to how be how did that come about like I know you, you said you played basketball in college how right. why the transition to uh you know helping out the USA Volleyball team right yeah no no great question yeah this was actually back my back in my fellow my sports medicine fellowship year and it was uh July of um 2008 and, okay. uh, and I was asked by my, um, one of my, my professors in med school who had taught me, um, he said, Hey, you know, Denise, would you like to come out to Sandy, Utah and work these 34 nets, you know, volleyball nets. So 34 games, one matches going at the same time. Um, you know, this, a uh, junior boys, junior Olympic tournament. I said, Oh, wow. Sounds so much fun. Absolutely. So I, I, you know, they, they paid for my trip, which was really nice because, you know, when you're a resident, you know, you don't really have a whole lot of money to spend, especially anything extra. 
And so, and plus I was working for free. So, you know, volunteering. So they, um, you know, they, they took care of my trip and then, you know, it, we would get there, you know, to the gym and like the expo center, six o'clock in the morning, stay till like 10 o'clock at night, just taking care of athletes. And, you know, he made me the, um, the medical director, <laughs> or the, sorry, the assistant, <laughs> sorry. He was, he was the medical director. I was the assistant medical director. And so, you know, gave me some responsibility. Yeah, it was awesome. And so then, um, so he would, you know, just do other things and kind of, uh, you know, get, give me the reins to take care of stuff. And then honestly, that was a, I think it was about a, a week to 10 day trip or something. I was trying to remember how long. And so pretty much like midway, he's like, you know, he's like, um, pretty much, you know, I, I didn't realize that this essentially then turned out to be kind of like an audition, which that wasn't yeah. how it originated, you know, but I um, mean, he's like, you know, I really like what you're doing, all these things. And then said, um, you know, would you like to, you know, um, apply to become a team physician for USA Volleyball? I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so, awesome. Yeah, no, it was. So then, you know, got home and then. You know, fill out the paperwork and um yeah so that that's kind of how that started which is really an incredible wow. opportunity and i'm so thankful for it and really it's truly a highlight and, and i can't wait till you know the kids get get even older and um you know have them actually travel with me because i want them to get involved with um with the team too and and there's just def definitely something that uh, many things you can learn from being a part of a team and uh, supporting a team so i, I yep. want to get the family involved in that eventually too but it, it's yeah. so fun and i, I think it. that's why we got to get all our teams back and and real quick, what's your, your take? Should we be playing sports right now? Or is that, is that crazy and dangerous? Oh my gosh. I guess maybe play sports with masks on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess right? that's a, that's a good politically correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 this is all tough situation. You know I mean? I understand yeah. there's the economic side, the financial side, and then the, the infectious disease and the medical side. And ah, I mean, it's just, it's like the bashing of two things that are supposed to be completely separate, but now they're getting ingrained together. And yep. uh, it, I mean, all these small businesses are getting pummeled and uh, it's just, um, oh, you know, but then you have all these deaths and I don't know. It, it's, it's, um, I'm just glad I'm not the number one person making the decision. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You and yeah, me both. That's a tough position yeah. to be in tough, tough sure job. Is. Yeah. So any, uh, any parting words or anything else that you, you might like to share uh, with our guests here today? Um, well, you know, Yes, thank you. Well, you know, one thing I just want to touch upon actually is um, besides sharing the websites is, um, you know, uh, my husband and I sometimes talk about uh, the financial consequences of child loss. I know this is, you know, you're a financial guy. So you're th this kind of point would be um, in, of interest to some of your listeners. But, you know, especially for us, you know, you lose a child kind of out of the blue. So we didn't have all those expenses before our child died, like others do who have a long standing illness, you know, so they have all those medical bills to deal with. Then, you know, in our case, child dies. And then now we have, you know, all the funeral expenses, all that. But then also not only just that, I mean, that, that's a given, right? And that, that's an unexpected um, cost. But then you look at the loss of wages. So now you have, you know, the parents who have a hard time sometimes going back to their same job. Maybe they have to change jobs, taking time off. You know, usually it's unpaid. And, you know, the financial situation that that can cause where now, in addition to losing your child, you know, because of dying, because of, you know, unexpected or other parents, you know, they have a cause, but still, you know, it just adds to the, to the stress and the grief and the, you know, just the, the um, emotional situation that you're in at the time. And, you know, some people can't even return to their previous job because of flashbacks or just, you know, emotional memories from that job when their child was alive. And, so, um, you know, and they can't focus, they can't think that kind of thing. So it's, um, you know, it's a very tough situation. So there's a, I think there are some articles out there that actually give, 
give an actual number amount, which is interesting, an actual like financial and monetary amount of how much child loss costs a family, which is kind of interesting to th even think about because I don't think anybody really thinks about that, you know, but, um, but parents can take a really big hit um, because of uh, all the emotions that go into it. So that's sure. um, something that people I think should just kind of be aware of, I, I guess. No, thank you for sharing that. And, and that's one thing too, I bring up with all my clients, especially young professionals is when we talk about disability insurance, mm -hmm. you know, you, you just never know what's going to happen through the course of life, both physically and mentally. And it could be to yourself or it could be to those around you. And unfortunately, then the next day, you can't just wake up and go right back to work, you know, like nothing happened. So that's um, exactly it. And, and, you know, and some people can't take off um, from work. My husband was only able to take off two weeks. My job was unbelievable and so supportive. Really, um, I was off two months or so, and then I kind of gradually started seeing patients. I, I kind of started off with just kind of hanging around the office just to see if I could handle it, you know, yeah. um, by seeing other kids. And, you know, there's so many different, you know, things at play here. And so then I eventually got back into seeing patients, but then eventually we moved, you know, to about an hour away from where my other job was here in Jersey. And then, um, you know, I wanted to take another job, which honestly was a lot less stress. So, um, it was definitely a, a yep. good move when it comes to that, um, having a job that is less stressful, especially when you're already dealing with the daily stress and nightmare of not having your child here, you know? Sure. So, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, you're, you're speaking from more of a positive story uh, or outcome, you know, for yourselves on how you were able to keep moving forward where right. a lot of folks I know, and just from personal experience, I know that have unfortunately gone through this and it's almost like they're done for, like they, yes. they just pack up their bags go in yeah. this deep dark hole of depression and uh yes you know it's almost like there's nothing you could say to that it, it's it's terrible and it's totally understandable but um some folks can rebound and others can't so I'm, and I'm brian and, and, th and thank you for saying that too because and that, that's actually another reason why i do what i do is because i know there are some parents who would like to do certain things but they can't because of exactly what you just said and so somehow, I don't know how, but somehow I'm able to, to, to have energy to do these various projects, to get out there, to make myself more vulnerable really than what I want to, but I, but I feel mm -hmm. I have to because there are others who can't. And I feel like yep. I need to be their voice as well. And, and I need to, you know, um, if the parents allow me with their permission, share their child's story as well. And so that people know that this happens to all different types of families. So, but that, that's definitely other families are, and parents especially are definitely, you know, another reason why I do what I do. No doubt about it. Sure. No, and kudos. I, I tip my hat to you for doing that and stepping up for the cause. And so where can everybody find you if they want to learn more about you and, and the cause and Team Vienna? Uh, where can they find Dr. Denise? Yes, thank you. So one is our website, which is www.vienna.team. And then also the SUDC Coalition website, which is www.sudccoalition.com. So those are two good ways. And then also I am on Facebook. So there's a Team Vienna Facebook page, SUDC Coalition Facebook page. I have my own personal Facebook page as well. And I'm also on Instagram with Team Vienna for SUDC Awareness. I'm also on LinkedIn. So there's definitely multiple ways, ways people can get in touch with me. Um, and, and many people have, especially when they have, when the, say it's a patient or a friend or somebody who, you know, there's an unex, unexplained death, you know, I find that people are contacting me, which, which I, I welcome because then I can help them the best I can and get them the resources that, um, that best fit them and just do whatever I can to help, you know. 
great. Great. And we'll definitely share those addresses uh, in the, the footnotes for today's show as well. So everybody could continue to follow you. Thank you so much. That's great. Yep. Well, I thank you again for, for coming on the show and especially sharing, you know, such a personal story. But I, I do believe that it's going to help a lot of people by sharing that message. Um, so thank you so much, Dr. Denise. My pleasure. And again, thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share my story. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, our pleasure. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. We were happy to have you with us today. Please keep spreading the message. Uh, tune in each week. Please leave us a nice review. Tell a friend and we'll keep the show growing in the positive uh, manner. Once again, we had the pleasure of speaking today with Dr. Denise Wondor and we will see you next week. Take care. The Kaderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors, or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, product services, and advisory services are offered through PASS, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Nine 773-244-4420. Financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Passes an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA, SIPC. California Insurance License Number, OK04194. Content of the Caderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Caderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Caderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries, or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.